What we're going to do is jump straight in. This is lesson 15, and where we're headed is between now. So uh, if you're watching on YouTube, we're in the month of February, and we're going to go all the way to the month of May. So what we're looking to do now is we started back in September, and we've looked at the entire Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, our job has been to define the kingdom of God. And the way I titled it that I felt would make it pretty clear is that the kingdom of God, when you hear that, you just think it's God's government. I hope I've done a good job opening your mind to that and to thinking that when you hear kingdom, you think government, because God is a God of order. He is a God who rules and reigns. He's a God over all other gods. He's the God over all spirit beings, and he's a God over all humans and all people and all nations. And so that has been the entire Old Testament. It has been to establish the thinking of why the government, why does God have a government, what does his government look like, and basically for 14 lessons, I've done my best to build what is the scope of his government. Tonight is going to be so fun because it's going to open the door to the New Testament. So tonight we're opening the door to the entire New Testament, and that's going to just get us into all kind of... Uh, great, great teachings, the sayings of Jesus when he says the kingdom is here, repent for the kingdom is here, Uh, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of heaven, Uh, seek first the kingdom, and then all the writings of Paul as they, uh, and Peter and all the disciples as they play themselves out, it's going to be very exciting. So let's jump in. So week one, here's what we've learned about, and I've, I've titled it The Scope of God's government. So when you think about his government, this is the stuff that's included inside his government. Number one, he's God most high. Come on, just give an amen to that one. He's God of all gods. We talked about him being God of all spirit beings and angels and all creation in the universe. He's he's most high over it all. Number two, his word is his authority. Number three, his wisdom is life. Number four, His intent, I love this one, his intent is righteous fellowship. God is not just trying to make himself known and famous. He wants relationship, and he's establishing a righteous relationship. Number five, his rule fills the earth. When you talk the kingdom of God, you're talking about the rule filling the entire earth. So it's not just something that's on the corner of Hope and Bomar. When you talk kingdom, it's everywhere. And then number six, he rules via a select people. And we talked about the picking out of Noah and then specifically Abraham. And then when he picked out Abraham, he built this nation of people and he's working with the people. And then we have this, the next one, number seven. We talked about that his people are his possession. Uh, Out of Abraham comes the 12 tribes of Israel. They were God's people. They were to make a name for God. They were to have God's laws and God's ways. And then we even went a little bit deeper. Number eight, we said that all of God's people were to be priests. They were to represent him. We're a kingdom of priests right now. In other words, we represent God to people on planet earth. Number nine, we talked about that God's expectation is righteousness. He has an expectation on everybody in the room that follows him, and that expectation is righteousness. Number 10, his kingdom, this is one of my favorite ones, his kingdom is expressed in community. 
God does community, puts us in community with each other, and we're to do life together. All through the New Testament, you will see, love God, love people, love God, love people. We're to love each other in community. Probably one of the most difficult things to do is number 10. Then number 11 was last week. I loved it. It was inspiring to me and I hope to you that God uses flawed humans to rule with him. You should have said amen. <laughs> I gave you a great opportunity there. God uses flawed humans. There's not a perfect one among us. Yes, we should strive for excellence. Yes, we should work hard to please him. But just to put you at rest, there's not, a, there's not one of us that's not flawed. Uh, and your scars can become the testimonies of God. And, and God's good with that. God's good that he works with flawed humans, meaning you have personalities, you have quirks, you have isms and schisms, and God says he doesn't care, he's gonna use you anyway. And then the final one tonight, and this is where it's gonna get really fun, we're gonna talk about this probably for the next 12 or 13 weeks, his government is his church. There's no way around it. There's no way to overlook it, there's no way to get by it that God has established his church, and you're part of that right now as a believer, He's established his church to rule in his government. Here is our, uh, our slide that we've been using, and now we're coming to the very end. And for the next several weeks ahead, 12 weeks, we're going to talk about church life. Let's jump in, open your Bibles, if you don't mind, to Ephesians chapter 1. I took this from the message in the Bible. It says this, all this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne. So look at all the words. I've highlighted all the words that very much begin to show us that the government of God has always been here. So we're talking about thrones now. That throne is in deep heaven, in charge of, and here we go, running the universe. That's why there has to be a government. Somebody has to run the universe. Are you glad you're not running it? <laughs> if you were running it, it would not be here. We would have killed everybody off again. But God is on a throne, he's running his government. I love the way the message puts it, it kind of elaborates on it. It says everything from galaxies to governments. God is working it all, God is ruling over it all. God is ruling over the universe, he's ruling over angels and he's ruling over all the beings and humans. And then I love what it says, no name and no power. Meaning, we, and we talked about this, meaning that there are other powers out there that work against him to overthrow his government, to overthrow his rule. None of that, I love it how it puts it, none of that is exempt from his rule. There's nothing on planet earth, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess it is lordship. Nothing is exempt from the way that God rules. And then it goes on in Ephesians chapter one, verse 22. I love it, this is, you should, this is a lot of amening here. He's in charge of it all. In other words, he's not up there freaking out right now. He's not going, oh, what am I going to do with this 2023 group of people? He's very in charge. He's not biting his fingernails. He's not sitting on his throne going, what am I going to do? His plan has been the same all the time. God has not changed his plan from day one, let there be light. The plan has always been the same. And the, the thing we can do if we want to be strong Christians is we don't need to change the plan either. Now he has the final word. And what we say by that is God's not here for your opinions. It's his word, he has the final word, meaning he's daddy over it all, he's the head of it all. 
He has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts. So let's just pull it together because this is where I'm going to take us over the next many weeks and months ahead. Is that Christ is in charge. He wants to rule the galaxies and the governments and he wants to have the final word. But look at what it says. The church is his body and through which the church is how he speaks and acts. In other words, he's calling you in to how he rules. He's calling you into his government. He wants you to be part of it. This thinking that says, I want God to do it all. God, I just want you to come and bring revival. And I believe God says, no, I'm not bringing revival. Why don't you go do what I called you to do? And if you'll do what I called you to do, I'll partner with you. And together, me and you together can see the world change. It's the togetherness. God wants to work through us, not do it for us. And so as we get to it and we, we play it out in detail, you'll see how he'll pull that off. Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says, I was chosen to explain to everyone, and then this phrase, and it's where I'm going to go tonight, this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, and then this phrase, he has kept it secret from the beginning. In other words, the church was not God's afterthought. Christ ruling through the church and acting through the church was the plan before Adam was ever created. So grab that. Before Adam was ever created, God already intended to use the church. And it didn't even exist except in the mind of God. But if it's in the mind of God, it already exists. So it's already there. He goes on to say this, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10. God's purpose in all of this is to use the church. Now notice, it's not just use important, special, anointed people. It's all of you flawed, weak, humble, scarred people. God desires to use you in his church to do something. Not to make you famous and give you more people and more likes and more followers. It's that your life is to display his wisdom. So God wants the world to see how his government works by watching me and you. Now this is the rich variety to the unseen rulers and authority in the heavenly places. So in other words, God's going to use me and you to make a statement to all those unseen ruler beings that are out there. They're to be looking at us going, wow, those are some incredible people that God is using. Verse 11 of Ephesians 3. This was his eternal plan. He's been doing it all along. And just to help you, he's never going to change. And even if you say, I don't like church people, they irritate me, I think I'm going to stay home. The moment you do that, you pull yourself out of his eternal plan. And you think that your momentary plan is better than his eternal plan You'll never succeed the way he wants you to succeed. Because no matter how bad we humans get, this plan to use the church never changes. If 52 pastors blow it, he'll raise up a 53rd. He'll raise up a 54th and a 55th 
Amen? Let's look at it, what he says here. He goes on to say, now, Ephesians 3.20, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power, and then here it is again, not trying to belabor it, but I'm wanting you to grab something and I'll tell you what that is in a minute. His mighty power is working within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And then again, where is his glory gonna be shown? It's going to work glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus. And then this ought to make you shout, jump, holler, and hoop. It's to all generations. To all of us. So, uh, you know, if you're thinking, man, what a terrible generation that's existing right now. It's weird of all the stuff and the woke ideology. You, rather than thinking that way, you should think, wow, God has left me here for this craziness. Rather than, oh God, just come get me off the planet. It's crazy. Stop praying that. Pray this. Wow, God put me in the middle of this weird, crazy, upside down, woke, idiotic thinking generation. Why? Because he wants to work through me so the world can see his wisdom. Now, now this glory to God working with me in the church through all generations preaches well. It's lived dirty. It's muddy, it's messy, and it's an all-out war. Look at this thought. God's eternal plan has always been that the church would be the avenue within which his kingdom government would manifest on the earth. Specifically, let your eyes, even though it's not highlighted, focus on the word manifest. God just doesn't give us religious word for the sake of religion. He's doing it because he wants his glory to manifest on the earth. And then down at the bottom, it is a plan that never changes. If you don't mind, look at this thought, and then we're going to read something in the Gospel of Mark. We've seen, here's the thought, we've seen the scope. So that was the 12 things I just gave you. We've seen the scope of God's government. However, there is an underlying secret on how the government operates. Because the question truly that we would ask ourselves, if God is wanting to partner with us, and God is wanting to work through us, and God is wanting his glory to be known to the world through me and you, then I have a hard question. Why doesn't it manifest in my life? Why do I see no power in my life? Why do I see no power in the church? It could not be God's fault because God is clear. I want to work through you. It's been an eternal plan. I'm good to use flawed people. I want it to be my wisdom. I'm in charge. I rule and reign, and I'm going to do it through you all. Then my question becomes, then why isn't it working? Where did the power go? Where did his wisdom go? Because if you follow Christians, many of us don't even live his wisdom. We live our feelings. We live our own wisdom. We live logic. Now, now the, the quest becomes, and this is my personality, so I'm going to throw mine out there just a minute. 
I'm obsessed to know why. Like I, my personality, I need to know the why. So if I, um, my, I'll give you this example because this happened last week. My daughter says, my youngest, dad, something's wrong with my car. The little emoji is on. That's what they say. What a weird generation. I knew immediately what she meant. The little engine emoji's on. All right, don't worry, just come home, I'll check it out. She says, well, it's making funny noises and it's jerking a lot. I said, well, that's the jerking a lot emoji, bring it home now. <laughs> you gotta identify with them. So she brought it home and I got into the car and I drove it and sure enough, it spits and sputters and it won't go and so immediately, all right, I need to know the why is the light on? We were talking about this. Why is the engine light on? Well, I'm not mechanical enough to know. I just know the engine light means you need to get somebody that's smarter than you in the room. So, so I called Cade Redmond. The reason I called Cade Redmond is I'm too cheap to pay a mechanic. <laughs> I said, hey, Cade, can you come look at Stella's car? He said, I'll bring my little machine over. I don't know what they call that machine. It's, it's a reader. And that's it. And uh, so he plugged it in and he went through it. And I was like, oh, Lord, please don't let it be the catalytic converter. Please. I've already bought one of those. Please. Oh, Lord, if you've ever helped a brother. <laughs> I literally said that. If you've ever helped me, help me. I cannot afford another $2,000 catalytic converter. And uh, so he read the codes. He goes, oh, well, this is good news. I said, what? He said, your, uh, your valves one and two are not firing right. Now, just, just, just right over my head. Just, he would have done just as well to say A squared minus B squared is R. It just, and I was like, cool. I don't know what that means. He said, well, this is what that means. You're going to have to go get plugs. You got two plugs that are bad. And I said, okay, I can do that. I'll go get them tomorrow. He said, well, just get all four plugs. We'll change them all. I gotcha. He says, matter of fact, you need to change the coils with the plugs. And I'm like, dude, that's why I brought you over. It's supposed to be cheap. <laughs> Well, I said all that to say, there's something, when something doesn't work, I'm obsessed to know why, and I want to call the right people, and I want to say, hey, it's above my pay grade, could you tell me what's wrong? Now, the sad part of that story is, most of us will do that with our washing machines, our cars, our computers, our TVs, our internet, and our phones. But when the church is not working, Nobody says, well, why? Why is there no power? Why is nobody getting healed? Where are all the lost people that should be coming in the door? I mean, that's what I read in the Bible. So there is a problem when nobody, I don't say nobody, but when many of God's people, the, the engine light's right in our eye. And, and we're just ignoring it. We're just so used to life and so distracted, which many of us do. It's like engine light, and you're like, well, as long as I ain't wrecking, I'm okay. And some of us will drive around for months with the engine light on. Like months, just like, oh, it's all right. It's probably just a, you know, air problem. Okay, great. Well, if you want to risk it. And so I think sometimes with the scope of God's government, it's easy to know all the words and the phrases but when he says there's an underlying secret of how this works, I want to know it. Amen. 
I want to know the secret. Open your Bible, if you will, to the book of Mark, chapter 4. If you're a Bible reader, scholar, knower, this will be very familiar to you. But I would like to read Mark chapter 4. And I'm going to read through up to verse 13, but we're going to parse out all of the verses. So just follow along in your Bible. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore, and a very large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got in a boat. And then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore and he taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, the farmer went out to plant some seed and he scattered it across the field and some of the seed fell on the footpath and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up and it choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. And then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now anytime you read that in the Bible, best advice I can give you, turn the TV off, Go back and read it again. Uh, when the master himself says, hey, you might want to ponder what I just said. <laughs> that was pretty deep, so listen to it. He goes on. Later, when Jesus, verse 10, was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, verse 11, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. So now here he goes. He intimates that the kingdom has a secret. So we've gone through the entire Old Testament and now that we get to the New Testament, we're like, dude, there's a secret. Like I thought I understood the whole thing. That's how I felt teaching. I'm like, hey, I'm learning a lot. And then you come to the head of the kingdom, the one who sits on the throne of the kingdom, the one who's in charge of the kingdom, the one who governs the kingdom says, oh, P.S., in my kingdom, there's a secret. And then he goes on to say this. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they'll learn nothing. And when they hear what I say, they won't understand. In other words, the kingdom is to manifest, but even though it's real, it might not. His government is real, but it might not work. That's what he's saying. His government is for us, but we might miss it. Otherwise, they'll turn to me and be forgiven. And Jesus said to them, now get ready. This is where it just, whoo, feels great. If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand any of the other parables? I'll give you my, my Mark Evans translation. If you don't get this, nothing else I say will make sense. So that has caused me to go, perhaps the reason we can say the right words and read the scriptures and do the religious duties, but question where is the power, is perhaps we're missing the secret. Because it seems that once I get the secret, it should work. So tonight, before we get into Jesus' 
understanding and presentation of the kingdom in the New Testament, we're going to have this pause. And this pause is going to be, what is the secret to the kingdom that I need to know? Mark chapter 4, verse 11. Let's read it again on the screen this time. He replied, you're permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for the outsiders. In other words, God intimated that the kingdom was to work within the people that would follow him, though the people who didn't follow him, you shouldn't expect to see the rule manifest in them. So if you're trying to talk to somebody who doesn't follow God about how God is, they'll never get it. Worst thing to do is to talk about tithing to somebody who's not even saved. Or going to church to somebody who doesn't even have a clue. Or reading the Bible to somebody who's not even born again. None of it will make sense because when you're an outsider, you don't know the secret. So if you don't know the secret, everything the insiders do will look dumb, foreign, weird. Well, I don't even know why y'all have to go sit in the building and listen to some man. It's because you're an outsider. It doesn't make sense until you've been born again. And then when you're born again, you may be born again, but still not get it because there's a secret to understanding how this works. I don't know if you're into card magic and all of that. Moi is. I will deep dive YouTube videos of how magicians really do their tricks. And I'll watch a hundred of them and waste my life. The funny thing about it is it's intriguing when I don't know how it's done. But as soon as they reveal it, I feel stupid. I'm like, how did I not see that? I missed that. I thought he actually sawed that woman in two and put her back together. There was no blood or anything. But when they show you how she did it, it's like, oh, I I can't believe I didn't see it. Oh, they used a body double. However they do it, he dealt off the bottom of the deck. Well, the same is true in the kingdom of God. There's a lot of people sitting in the church with just blank stares. Watching the words of music, watching people raise their hands, and even following suit, but clueless to how it operates, clueless to how it works, and then get irritated that they can't figure it out. Mad at God, I don't understand why it doesn't work for me. Because you don't know the secret. So I'm going to teach you the secret. It's not anything he's hiding. Here's what he says in Mark 4, verse 13. And Jesus said to them, if you can't understand this meaning, how will you get the rest of it? He goes on to say this. Uh Here's the thought. It's not that it's deep. It's just that it's overlooked. And I'd like to open your eyes to see it. Here's the thought. The underlying secret to God's kingdom government manifesting fruit on the earth is the seed principle. God's entire creative rule is seed-based. It doesn't matter if you like that or not, it's just true. 
if you go back to my Genesis teaching, everything God did in the day of creation produced the fruit of the seed that he spoke. God said, let there be light. That was the seed and light came out. God said, let the water produce back and let the land and whatever God's word begin to speak, it produced something. And then the weird thing of God doing that is when he created the creation, he said, and you also will reproduce after your kind. A seed produces a seed and it produces after its kind. Humans do not produce turtles. Humans produce humans. Chimpanzees and orangutans don't turn into a human. We might look like each other. We might have an uncle that is strikingly similar. We might have 98% of the same DNA, but an orangutan never produces a human. That is the seed principle. Now, the reason this is powerful is there will become an all-out war on the seed principle. Because if Lucifer can destroy, watch, if Lucifer can destroy the seed, he can destroy the kingdom. Did you get that? If he can destroy the seed, he can destroy the kingdom. Because God has obligated himself that the way the kingdom operates is via the seed principle. So if you want to kill it all off, just destroy the seeds. Without being too deep, but going back to my Genesis, it's why God had to handle the generation of Noah the way he did, because Lucifer corrupted the seeds of human. It wasn't that they were just wicked, because there's always been wicked people. Lucifer corrupted human seed, and God had to eliminate the seed that was corrupt and keep the eight people that were still considered blameless and uncorrupt. So that's the whole thinking of the Genesis narrative of Genesis 6. It was all about the seed. It goes on to say this in Galatians 6, just to show you how foolish we humans can be. Galatians 6 verse 7. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. King James says you will reap what you sow. Now that sowing and reaping seed principle is connected to the word, the justice of God. And when you talk about the justice of God, it must by nature be connected to his rule. And if it's connected to his rule, it's connected to the way he governs. So the way in a nutshell that God is going to govern his kingdom is you reap what you sow. And here's how fair it is because it's called the justice of God. It works for everybody. Even if you don't love him, know him, care about him and give him the middle finger, he's like, really? Okay. But my justice is just go do you, you'll reap what you sow. Now the worst place to be as a human 
is for God to turn you over to his justice. Where God backs up and says, okay, go do you, but you will reap what you sow. That's how he balances fairness. Well, he seems like he's so much nicer to these people. That's because if these people are sowing nice things, they reap nice things. Now, I can take God completely out of the picture. I can literally right now become an atheist. There is no God. And yet the system of sowing and reaping is still true. Even without a God in the mix. Let a husband tell his wife, you look fat. He will reap what he sowed. Right? It's just the way it works. Steal something, you get arrested, you reap what you sow. Stop getting mad at the police that pull you over for speeding. You reap what you sowed. So it works even if I move God out of it, but I can't move God out of it because if, even if I do, he has planted it in the universe. Sowing and reaping is a universal principle whether you believe in God or not because God established that as the secret. Now, the reality of this is it works regardless of faith. You don't even need faith to reap what you sow. If you eat too much, you get fat. You reap what you sow. If you plant a banana, you get a banana back. You you don't even need faith for it. You just throw the banana in. And and now the reality of it is I go to the store and I go, I love banana seed. I'll buy that. What are you doing? Well, I'm going to plant bananas. Well, Daddy, that doesn't look like a banana. Well, it's not a banana. I mean, it is a banana, but it's not. It's, it's a seed. Well, well, how do you know it's going to be a banana? Well, because that packet said a banana. Well, who, how do you know who, what if they put the wrong seed in the packet? Well, then I'm going to be ticked off because I bought it thinking that it said a banana seed was in this packet. So you mean, Daddy, that you b- went to P- Kroger and you bought a banana seed, and it's in a little pouch. It doesn't even look like a banana, but you emphatically believe that a banana exists there because people you don't even know said that this is a banana seed. Yep, totally believe it. So what are you going to do, Dad? Well, I'm going to pull it out, and I'm going to put it in this piece of dirt, and I'm going to bury it so you can't see it. So what's there, dad? Well, there's a banana there. There's no banana, it's just dirt. I know, but under the dirt, there's a banana. Daddy, how do you know it's a banana? The packet said it's a banana. So I'm having this conversation, trying my best to get my child, and every kid does it in a science project. We have to water it. Why are you watering something not seen? Because under the thing not seen is a principle that exists. That which I cannot see, if I continue to water it, it will become into the seen realm. For by faith, that which I do not see will become a reality of what I do see. So for the outsider that comes by my house and watches me pouring water into a bowl of mud, they think, well, What's the mud for? 
And I say, well, it's not mud. Well, it is mud, but it's not because under the mud, there's something living. And it's moving even though you can't see it. It's, it's doing what it was created to do even when I can't see it. I just have to stay the course and keep following that every day, twice a day, I need to water it and keep it in sunlight. And it says if I do that, I can expect to see of what I don't see. So I do it over and over. And then all of a sudden, a little green thing sticks up and I go, there, there's the banana. And the kid goes, dad, that's not a banana. It is a banana, but it's not, but it is. Because it contains within it everything banana-ish. It just takes time. It just takes time of following the instructions to receive the reality. Now, that was a dorky analogy, but that's how the kingdom works. Because the kingdom is, I give you the package of what my life should look like, what my power should look like. I need you to take my seed and plant it in your heart. And you're not going to see a thing. And people are going to think you're dumb. You're going to be walking around going, who to Bashada? I know that I know that I know. What is in my heart? Well, you're just dumb. You're just that name it, claim it people, aren't you? You're just that whatever you say, you get it. I know you're not going to get it. You're an outsider. I just know that inside me is a banana seed. And I'm going to water that banana, pray over that banana, fast over that banana, put that banana in light. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go dig around that banana to make sure it gets all the nutrients. Why? Because what you can't see, I already know to be real because I'm holding on to something you cannot see. And by faith, that which I do not see, I have the hope that the hope that I have will become a reality. Now, if you can do that for a banana seed, could you not believe that you could do the same with this? I'm going to teach you how to do it and why it's such a terrible, hard thing to do. The manifestation of God's kingdom government becoming a reality in your life begins with a seed. I'll tell you this thought, the reason most people never see a manifestation of power is they never plant the seed. They just want pity. They want a banana, but they don't want to go to Kroger to buy anything. They want a banana, but they don't want to buy anything to plant it in. They want a banana, but they don't have time to water it every day. They want a banana, but they don't have the mud and the dirt to put it in. They want a banana, but they're impatient. So there's a lot of God's people that want something, but they don't grab a hold of the secret of how to manifest it. And then they get upset and wonder why you're blessed and they're not, and God must like you better than me. But I say to that, never say that because that's mocking his justice because we just are reaping what we sow. I have said this about my parents. They're 86, 84 this year. They're moving through life fairly well. Kind of handsome people. (laughs) Thank God for mother because she dresses him. 
But you look at them, they're not on walkers. They're not divorced. They're not ticked off. They're not even retired. Dad still comes to work every day, sits in that office every day and just works his little self away at 86 years old. Now, if you're jealous of that, and you say, I would like to grow old like that, sitting in church with the love of my life, going to Longhorn and getting a hamburger with cheese, going on a walk together, watching the crown together, being married to a man that never listens to anything I say. Well, you can have it if you plant it. They just planted well. Long before you knew them, when they were in their 30s, they were seeking first the kingdom. Amen. 1969, my dad began to tithe. I think 65, 63. That's how far I bought. In 1963, he began to give 10% of his money to God. So if you want the blessing, just ask yourself, could we consistently stay that faithful for 50-something years? And most of us would be like, I don't know if I could do it. I, I don't know if I have the wherewithal. But I will say this. If you can ever grab hold of a seed and plant that seed and never let go of that seed and never dig that seed up and never turn your back on that seed, the justice of God is you will reap what you plant. Now, here's where it becomes a challenge, and I'll read through Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 14. The farmer plants the seed by taking God's word. Now, we start getting the secret. The seed is God's word. All right, it goes on to say this. Verse 15 of Mark 4. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who, in the blue, those that hear the message. So there's some kind of congruency going on. God, God puts the word out there, but there's an obligation for your little ears to hear it. But then God also makes it a little more difficult by telling us, but only to have Satan come at once. So he's letting us know that in this seed principle, there's somebody that cannot stand the seed. And Satan will come at once to try to take it away. You have to know this. Your enemy does not want you to grab a hold of a seed. If you get a seed, you win. I need to keep you way away from ever letting God's word. God's word can be your devotional. God's word can be tattooed on your arm. God's word can be something you quote before you eat dinner, but it can never become a seed. It can never get in your heart and take root. It can never land itself to a place to where it could remotely start to grow. Because the moment it does, he's losing. So Jesus goes on to say, verse 16, the seed on rocky soil represents those who, again, hear the message and receive it. And then in the pink, the word joy. Now he's letting me know, not only is there a battle for Lucifer, but your emotions get involved as well. Verse 17, but since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. Now he's telling me that time is a factor. And then they'll fall away soon because they have problems. Problems become a factor, or they're persecuted by other people. People become a factor. You see how messy this seed is getting? The reason it's so messy is, is because it's so powerful. 
then the devil is going to work overtime to destroy the seed. Verse 18, the seed that fell among the thorns represents all those who hear God's word. And again, the word is the seed, but all too quickly, the message gets crowded out. Now here it comes, the worries of life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. It goes on to say, verse 20, and the seed that fell on good soil. So now it's telling me that it's really not about whether the seed has power, but whether the one who hears it has good soil. Like God is putting some kind of responsibility on me. I don't like that. I like the theology that says God does it all. I like the theology that says I can be lazy, I can be carnal, I can be distracted, I can be ticked off, I can have unforgiveness, I can be greedy, and God just come on and do it for me. And God's like, dude, no. No, 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 no. I'll give you the seed, but, but the demand for you to have the right kind of heart is critical. So rather than us humans getting mad at God when it doesn't work, it's best to just get a mirror and go, let me just look at me because if it's not working, it's definitely me. If you can ever start there, it's not God, it's me. I'm going to start with me and I'm going to work myself through it. Here's the thought. There is an all-out assault to diminish God's kingdom rule on the earth. Now, how is the enemy going to do this? By stopping the seed of his word from planting in the hearts of humans. By stopping the planting of his word in the heart of humans. I, I don't have time to talk about this, but it's amazing to me just how few Christians today honor the word anymore. It's just man-made. It's the Bible. I don't understand it. I don't get it. Uh, I read it some once a week. And I'm like, great. That's no different than planting a banana seed. And I say, and why isn't it growing? Well, you know, I've just been busy. I, I, I do water it. I, I watered it a couple of weeks ago. Okay, great. But that same thinking, the light of his word. Well, I don't know why my banana tree won't go. It's in the closet. It's getting no light. It's getting no water. So the thinking is there's many Christians that don't keep themselves in his word, which is the light of his law. They don't keep him, themselves in the word, which, which causes their heart to be fertile ground. All right, so here's what I want to teach you tonight. I want to teach you that there is a fight for kingdom rule in your life. There is a fight for kingdom rule. I think the scope is very clear. God wants to rule. God wants to use us. God wants to uh, empower us. He wants his rule to manifest in our life so that the world could look and go, wow, there's something different about you. And I go, yes, there is. It's God. It's his wisdom in my life. Now, the critical thing about it is the seed never changes. It's eternal. It's the same today as it was yesterday. His word is still his word. What changes is humans. And every generation, we humans get a little smarter and dumber at the same time. Because the smarter we get, the less of his wisdom we really need. I don't really need his word because, you know, it's just written by humans anyway, and they can all be flawed, so I don't know. Well, you know, it was just a bunch of old people, white people got together in the, you know, with Constantine and decided to make the Bible. 
I don't know. But all I do know is that the word of God is a seed breathed upon by the Holy Spirit. And whether I can fathom that or understand that or say that he used flawed people to do it, the moment it got done, it was infallible and perfectly done well. So now the battle becomes for us humans that every generation has to decide is the word truly what it says it is. That the fight is not about what denomination we're going to be. The fight will be over what does the word say. They're fighting over it now with gender equality and, and all of the LGBTQ. Everybody's deciding and discerning what's real, what's not. Throw it away. Believe the Old Testament. Don't. It's too archaic. Well, the reason we're fighting over it is because the enemy knows once I land that this is the word of God. It's infallible. It's an errant truth of God, breathed by the Holy Spirit. The moment I start there and it gets a seed, I'm deadly to the kingdom, to Lucifer's kingdom. I become a threat. Now, because this is true, every generation is going to have to determine what they believe about the seed. Here's where it starts. Fight number one. The fight is spiritual. It's so spiritual, this seed, that Satan attacks it. I don't know if you've ever said, all right, this year, oh, I'm believing, I'm standing, my marriage is going to be everything God ever said. And by January 15th, you're throwing in the towel. Like he's just such an idiot, I should kill him, right? Because the moment you decide to believe, it perks Lucifer up. He doesn't mind you coming here, singing a few tunes, showing up on Sunday and going, amen, because you're no threat to him. You're only a threat when you get the seed. So he can have churches filled with religious people as long as you don't manifest the kingdom. He's good with it. Now, how does Lucifer play around with humans so that we humans self-destruct with the seed? The second one is we find out that the seed is connected. It's emotional. Feelings will be involved. And I'm sure everybody, if we polled the room right now, will say, your feelings are powerful. Because you can be sitting there reading the Bible, falling apart. I know the Bible says, but (laughs) you just don't understand. (laughs) You just don't get it. You just don't understand what I'm going through. (laughs) I know, I know. Right? You ever been in that fight? Already know what it says, but you're crying anyway. I don't know why it doesn't work. I don't know why nothing ever works for me. I tithe, nothing works. Now, the reason kingdom rule is such a hard issue is not because God's weak. It's because our feelings are usually our God. So I'm going to have to learn how to dethrone my feelings. Because your feelings will negate the seed. How do I know this? The Bible says a double-minded person. Somebody that goes back and forth with their feelings. All right, I'm in today, man. It's Monday. It's fresh. I'm quoting it. I'm posting it. It's mine. Monday afternoon. I just want everybody out there to know, I just don't know if I can go on. 
I just need y'all to pray for me. I'm going to start a GoFundMe right now. I mean, all that's fine. We've seen it. I've been there. But it goes to show you, it does not take an emotional person long to hop back to opinion B. Well, I thought God wanted me well, then why am I not well? Well, I must not. And then now to be double-minded means you, you toss two opinions around. It doesn't mean you're demonic. It means you're opinionated. Opinion A, I'm going to hold on to it. It's not working, so I'll do opinion B. Now, God said when you're opinion A and opinion B, you get doodly, that's my translation, doodly squat. You get nothing from him. Here's why. All right, little banana seed, come on now. Plant my little banana seed. Come on, banana. In the name of Jesus, banana. I command you, banana, to grow. Come forth. And then it doesn't. So you get emotional. And you start digging. And the moment you start digging, you're killing it. The only way it grows is you keep your pie hole and hands away from it. And you just go, no, it's there. Is it? It's there. I know it's there. I planted it. It has to be. What if a kid dug it up? Oh, God. What if they did? What if the dog came by and ate the seed I planted? Oh, no, I'm not going to dig it up. I'm going to leave it. Well, you know, the dog could have. I did see some dirt on the floor. Like your feelings. So there's going to be, as you're trying to get a hold of his word, your feelings are going to pitch a royal fit. God doesn't take them away. You've got to learn to rule them. Number three, it's physical. The, the war is physical. Meaning as spiritual as you get, there's still problems that are going to hit you between the face. Well, I just thought if God was for me, who could be against me? Well, you're letting the problem rule your feelings. And when the problems rule your feelings, Satan's winning because you're getting nothing from God. So the whole thing becomes, I feel like we're losing here because this is tough. I like to wake up and have no emojis on the car. Just nothing. I like just a problem-free philosophy. Hakuna Matata, baby. I like my life to work. And most of us know when our life doesn't work, we immediately get upset. We immediately, what's wrong? Believe And the Lord's like, oh, just every time they get halfway there, they dig the seed up with their fleshly little fit. And I've already told them. I told them in the world you will have tribulation. And then what do they think? I'm stupid? Do they think I just say things I don't mean? I literally told those humans in the world you will have trouble. But I didn't put a period there. I said, however, be of good courage for I have overcome the world. Well, I forget the comma part. I don't like tribulation. <laughs> I don't know why God. <laughs> and then people come along. He's just trying to teach you something. He's not teaching you anything. Problems are trying to rob you of something. What he's trying to teach you is just trust me. 
Well, I got a problem. Oh, just trust me. Stop getting dirt on your fingernails and just trust that what I tell you is true. Oh, it gets worse. <laughs> I wish I could leave number four off. It's relational. People attack it. Well, you're an idiot. What do you, I can't believe that. Why would you even believe that? That's the dumbest thing ever. Because the moment you decide of what you're going to stand on, some well-meaning person is going to tell you that that's just dumb. You, you need a plan B. You need some other opinions or you're just too fanatical. So I will just highly encourage you this year, ditch them. Just put your nice little fence up that says, I ain't got time for you because you're robbing me of my seed. That sounds rude, but I don't think it's so rude. I don't want you coming over going, what's that? And I go, it's a banana. Oh, how do you know? And you start digging my banana up. Leave my banana alone. When it grows, I'll come over, you can eat from it. And I'll go, see, people attack it. Now, I could stop here, but I got three more. Most people never get past this. And they want to know why it never works for me. And I would just leave it here because it's spiritual, emotional, physical, and relational. And every one of these things are going to try to get you to dig it up. It goes on number five. It's economical. Money attacks it. It it actually said because people will chase wealth and things and worries of life that it'll cause the seed not to produce. Jesus literally said chasing money can cause you to lose what God wants to do. If you ever want to know the kingdom principle in the most simplistic form, the easiest way is to start with money being a seed. Most people see money as a need. Just pray for me. All right, what do you need prayer for? I just need more, more, I need a raise. I just, I can't make my need, I can't, I'm not me, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I, I, but, and now the thinking is, not that you're living paycheck to paycheck, but your thinking is money is a need. I need money to pay for the needs of my creditors. If you can flip it and start thinking money is a seed, And if my money is a seed and I plant that seed, I will reap to have the need. Now, you're talking to a dude that lived most of his life frustrated about money. Never got enough. I'm a preacher. Always broke. I just, I don't know why everybody else always has the best cars. Well, I mean, that's a man, right? I'm, Robin's home. I'm trying to provide. I'm working two jobs. I'm traveling. I'm, and then one day I thought, this is, I'm just killing myself. I, this is, and I just thought, well, if this is true, if my money is my seed, that's the way I was raised. Your money is a seed. Then I just said, all right, if that be true, I can become a giver and I'll never outgive God and a giver will never go broke. I'm going to start there. I can never outgive God and a giver will never go broke. And man, from that time when I was in my early 30s till this week, 
I'm just like. It doesn't have to be a lot. A seed is not a lot. It can be a dollar. Get rid of you need a thousand. You just need a quarter. A quarter in the ground produces a harvest. Jesus said, oh, she didn't give. You think she didn't give a lot. She gave out of her need. So, well, most people wonder why it don't, won't work. It's because they're chasing things and cars and stuff. And even Jesus says, my kingdom, if you'll put it first, I'll give you everything. But it is economical. And a lot of times we're down here chasing our economy rather than God's. Number six, it's generational. Meaning every seed takes time. Every seed takes time. Sometimes the seed comes up in a week, sometimes a month. I was going to plant some fruit trees in my backyard just so we could have fruit until I read it will be about eight years before there's fruit. I'm like, I ain't got time for that. I'd just soon go to Publix and buy my apples. So what we do know is whatever seed you plant, it takes time. So some miracles and healing may take longer time to manifest than others. Don't, don't give up on it. Not everything is magic and not everything is instant. I know we're in a generation that doesn't fare well with time, but if you're talking the seed principle, that means that there's going to be a season you have to trust God when you see nothing. When you have no evidence at all and you just got to stay the course, baby, I'm just going to keep on keeping on. Well, if you had faith, I do have faith. Well, then where is it? It's in the ground planet. Well, shouldn't you see it by now? What are you talking about? There's no time limit on this thing. And I find that a lot of people start well believing God. They don't end well. They get excited on Sunday and by Monday they're tapped out. But it is generational, it's time. And the final one is this, it's reciprocal. Meaning the effort you put in is the effort you get back. With what measure you sow, it's measured back to you. You want a dump truck, you better plant a dump truck. You want a train, you better sow a train. You, you give me a spoon, I'll give you a spoon back. Don't be mad at me. You give me a nugget, I'll give you a nugget back. So there's a lot of people that want to give God a nugget and go, I'd like a dump truck back. And God's like, no, it's reciprocal. With the effort you put is the effort. With what you sow is what you get back. If you sow much, you reap much. If you sow little, you reap little. So there is this principle, and, and I know sometimes grace tries to remove this. I'm not talking about effort to get into heaven. I'm talking about effort to see the kingdom rule in your life. So if you're just casually church attending, casually praying, casually pressing into God, then don't be mad if he just casually gives something back to you occasionally. Just tosses you a little crumb every six months because that's what you toss to him. So don't be mad at him. He told you that. Well, I just don't know why God doesn't do because the last time he saw you was two months ago. So don't get upset with him. He, you reap what you sow with him. It's reciprocal. Here's the thought. The seed is the word. This is the underlying secret of the kingdom. The seed is his word. And how we respond to such determines God's kingdom rule in our life. 
How we respond makes a difference because we're about to pick up the life of Jesus. And even though Jesus is God, you are going to see that even though he's God, he will make the statement, I still can't do a lot of miracles in that town because of their unbelief. He connects kingdom rule to how they respond to him. The woman with the issue of blood touched me. He's like, who touched me? And he turns around and said, I felt something virtue went out of me. Well, what he's teaching us is she reciprocated something when her faith reached out, became the reciprocation that power left his life. Because what he wants us to know is we, we have to respond. All right, let's look at the Bible, two Bible verses, and then we'll end. And this will be a great launching pad for the next several months ahead. Genesis 3.15 picks up the seed principle at the sin of Adam and Eve. God is talking to Lucifer here. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. So the whole principle of this kingdom thing, the church, the government is a seed principle. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Telling us the word bruise is highlighted there. Telling us it is a war. The seed principle is an all-out war. And it's a war not just between you and whether you'll believe the Bible, but it's a war of kingdom rule. A kingdom of darkness versus a kingdom of light, a father of death and murder versus a father and author of life. It'll go on to say this. Here's the word, what enmity means. It means hatred. And it means personal hostility. So from Genesis chapter 3, what we get is this seed principle, though it sounds romantic, is that the world will hate it. Your flesh will hate it. It's why Jesus will say the flesh profits nothing. It'll be a personal hostility. We know this is true because Galatians 5 will say there's a war between your flesh and the spirit. An all-out war. So this, this principle of hatred and personal hostility is sown into Genesis. But you're going to see it show up in Jesus presenting the kingdom because you're wondering, how can anybody hate him? He's so loving. How could they try to kill him because he healed somebody? And they try to murder him for healing somebody? Well, what we're learning is it's a seed principle. And so they hated him and they were personally hostile against him and they'll kill him. Here's the final scripture. John chapter 1 picks up the seed principle. And the word, there's the seed, became flesh, there's the manifestation. How, this is just real quick, how did the word become flesh? It had to be planted in a womb. So God held himself to his own law. If I'm going to have seed manifest, it has to be planted. So people say, well, I just don't understand why God just didn't make Jesus a full-on adult. Why did, why did God have to put him in Mary's womb and have Because God has to honor the seed principle. The word is a seed. That seed can't be created like Adam out of dirt. That seed has to be planted into a womb. And then that womb has feelings, tears, threats, people, anxiety, Time, everything I just went through, if I went back and I went through it again, every one of those things, you would see that a woman's womb goes through all of those things as it's trying to birth this system of life. It goes on to say, he was in the world 
And there it is. The kingdom has come into the world. And the world was made through him. And the world, here we go. The world didn't know him. And he came to his own. And here's the word hostility. They still wouldn't receive him. They were personally hostile to him. How dare you? They even called him Beelzebub. The very prophecy of God, he will cause hostility. By the time the seed shows up, it says his own people won't even receive him. So the hostility becomes deadly. Here's the final thought of the night. God's kingdom rule manifests in my life when I walk in complete harmony with his word. If you've ever wondered why doesn't it work for me We have to get in complete harmony, plant the seed, hold on to the seed, water the seed, and then press through all those things. What is the seed? It's the Word of God. And what is my job? It's to walk in complete harmony to the Word. Now, where we're going to go in the weeks ahead is we're going to come right here to this Word that becomes flesh that will begin walking on planet Earth and talking to people and calling them into a kingdom relationship But as he does so, and as he manifests what it is, you're going to see a world of hostility arise. And we're going to try to pull the kingdom out and make sense of it in the weeks ahead. Father, thank you so much.